Welcome to the Energizing India podcast, a program that focuses on e-mobility in India and how to bring about change in this sector rapidly. Joining me on the program today is Stefan Lewis, Chief Executive Officer of NextCharge. NextCharge is a joint venture between Le Clanchet of Switzerland and Exide Batteries of India, India's largest battery manufacturer. Founded in 1909, Le Clanchet is a world-leading provider of high-quality energy storage solutions, today based on the lithium-ion cell technology. It is the only listed pure-play energy storage company in the world and is listed on the Swiss Stock Exchange. In 2018, both Exide and Le Clanchet announced their joint venture next charge, which is working to inaugurate a lithium-ion cell production facility, which will go live in India in 2022. Stefan, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ravine. Very nice to be here. Stefan, you've been in India a couple of years now. I'm interested. How has your journey been? Oh, it's uh, it's been uh, probably one of my the best experiences uh, in my life. Uh, India is, uh, is is such a huge opportunity, and that really uh, motivates me uh, to to come here and uh, with my little bag of uh, experience and. Uh, uh, yeah, help uh, help the country to yeah get get cleaner and move towards electrification. And Stefan, you have a long history in the battery industry uh, across Europe. Uh, have you worked in other chemistries outside of lithium ion? Can you tell us a little bit about Stefan? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it's an interesting story, really. I uh, I, I got into uh, lead acid batteries. Uh, no, sorry, my parents got into lead-acid batteries when I was 10 years old. They started a battery uh, company in 1981. Uh, I was 10 years old when that company got started. And when I was 14 years old, my father came into my room and he said, okay, this thing is going to uh, grow and it's profitable now. Would you like to get into batteries later when you grow up? And I was 14 years old and I said, uh, yeah, I, I guess so, yeah. And uh, that's how I rolled into batteries. And when I was 18, he said, okay, come and join the company now. I said, no, I want to do some other stuff. I want to understand electronics more. And when I was 21, he asked again, and there was no, no refusal at that point anymore. So I got into the battery business uh, when I was 21. A battery man from the age of 14. How exciting for yeah. us to have you in India in that yeah. case. Yeah, exactly. And uh, what happened beyond 21? Uh, did you stay in the battery industry? Did you uh, go yeah. to university? It to was a family batteries? company, so I, I, I stayed into that. Um, it was mainly distribution of batteries and bringing them from across the world uh, uh, and into into Belgium and Holland, what we call the Benelux. Um the uh, the company is uh, has been around now for thirty nine years and it's, it's it's doing very well. I'm very happy and very proud to be able to have set up that company and embed the the processes also in terms of business innovation so that the team could run it without my continuous uh, attention. I was constantly looking for cell manufacturers of lithium ion cells uh, because we got into battery pack manufacturing with lithium ion. And I found out that there was an LTO company in, in, uh, in Germany called Le Clanchet. So I visited them and uh, I didn't meet the account manager that I was supposed to meet. I met someone else who was apparently an executive at the company, Fabrizio Marzolini. And uh, he, uh, he said, oh, yeah, nice of you to come here, but you actually should meet our CEO who, uh, who turns out to be Anil Srivastava. Six months later, I sold my lithium-ion battery company to, uh, to Le Clanchet. We then had uh, an executive committee meeting and we were thinking like, how do we, how do we grow the business? How can we sell more product or 
why don't we sell technology? There must be so many companies that are looking for technology uh, in lithium mining because Lacoste has great technology. You know, uh, it's it's really a beautiful company, and uh, that's uh, uh, we of course knew already. Excite Industries as being a very important player, and six months later we had a joint venture, and I moved to Gujarat and lived here now for two years. Uh, can you talk about uh, what are you going to be doing in India? Uh, what is the what is the chemistry that your uh, facility will be doing in India? We are chemistry agnostic. We, uh, I mean, uh, the mission of uh, Next Charge is to uh, um, address all the markets that Exide is into as well. Uh, that is their wish, of course, as the majority shareholder. And they are into everything. Uh, they go from two-wheelers all the way to submarines. They go from minus cap lamp to a grid-tight energy storage system. So they're very broad. And to cover all those markets over time, we will require different chemistries. Uh, in some cases, when you need to go for portable, you need very high energy density. In some cases, you may need a 20-year life. Uh, so we, we're going to use all the chemistries. When a gigafactory eventually does come to India, or if you've got more than one, what happens to the smaller plants um, that have invested? So we are talking to a number of people today, for example, who are investing in cell packing plants, uh, importing the cells, packing them, uh, and, and creating or making batteries, which they then send, sell to automotive um, OEMs. What is your forecast for what happens to these companies when a gigafactory comes and the economies of scale suddenly are turned upside down? Mm. So uh, just just to create the clarity, we, we are also into pack manufacturing right now. As I said, we go outside in, we, we, we do the pack, we do the BMS, we do the modules and the electronics. We don't get into cells right now yet. Um, there is only one way to manufacture cells and that is to do it at scale and that means gigawatt hours if you don't do it at the gigawatt hour level you will not be competitive and there will be a huge price gap one that will not even be uh, you know matched uh, or, or or fixed by import duties so uh, setting up a i don't know 100 megawatt hour plant will get you nowhere that strategy would only make sense if you have to go up on a learning curve you, you don't want to run a 3 gigawatt hour plant or 10 gigawatt hour plant if you don't know what you're doing or you're not 100% sure what you're doing. That can get very expensive very quickly. Uh, you know. Uh, so for the people who want to get on the learning curve, you can build a 100 megawatt hour plant, but you will not be competitive with that at all. You'll be 30, 40, 50%, if not more, handicapped in, in cost and 5 to 10% import duties is not going to fix that problem. So that's that's very tough. People who have to go through that learning curve must have a strategy to go to a bigger scale factory and have a market for it. Otherwise, they'll just be burning cash for as long as they run that 100 megawatt hour plant. Le Clanchet has gone through that learning curve, so we don't need to do that. You know, we have a technology partner who has done that already. So thanks to Le Clanchet, we can go right onto the gigawatt hour factory when 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 we have the market. When do you think that this market will justify an investment in a gigafactory in India? We, uh, I mean, a gigafactory starts at one gigawatt hour, right? So if you look at one gigawatt hour factory, 
in order to run the factory uh, efficiently, which is important to be cost competitive, you need to run it at least at a 50% uh, load. So that means you need a market of half a gigawatt hour, addressable market where you can win that business. And obviously you won't have a 100% market share. So you need a market of a couple of gigawatt hour uh, so that you can capture half a gigawatt hour, right? And then um, uh, I'm saying a couple of gigawatt hour because it distributes over prismatic and cylindrical and pouch cells and different chemistries. And you won't be doing everything in that factory right from day one. So there will be a couple of gigawatt hours market. Now, mind you, um, it's not because we build a factory, a cell factory in India that we only have to address the Indian market. We could export as well. I think that when you build a gigawatt hour plant, uh, you should be in a position to compete internationally. So it's really, it's not only about the domestic market. So I'm going to push you a little bit on that to try and get a feeling of a date, perhaps, of when you think uh, the first gigafactory investment will happen in India. Right. Sorry about that. I missed that. So um, I think um, uh, we are probably two to three years away from that trigger point where we need to be ready with our factory. Okay, excellent. So we're forecasting 2023, 24, maybe where there's a market size enough to justify the first uh, of the gigafactories that the government hopes will come to India. Um, the next uh, challenge, of course, then Stefan, once the gigafactory comes is uh, energy sustainability and the fact that a lot of the inputs have to be imported into India. Uh, lithium reserves um, are not available, have to come from China or South America or Australia. And of course, the chemistries that will be used. And if it's an LMC chemistry, the C in that is cobalt. And China controls 85% of the world's cobalt reserves. Um, so what is your view on energy independence? So we have a we have a push towards EVs. That's brilliant. The air will get cleaner. Uh, we have better mobility. Um, yet the reliance um, on China does not change in many ways. The Atma Nirbhar initiative of the government um, is handicapped in many ways. Yeah, uh, two comments there. Um, as a lithium-ion cell manufacturer, if you look at the value chain, we would not be purchasing nickel or cobalt or manganese or lithium because uh, as a lithium-ion cell manufacturer, you buy the active materials and they are, let's say, uh, ready to go. So you buy NMC, okay, which is already manufactured powders are manufactured and made to size and you buy that of a company like BASF or Umicore or you know any other company that is in that business of selling the active materials that are going to lithium-ion batteries and they have a responsibility to get all those materials and uh, and, and prepare them for lithium-ion cell manufacture so then you have to start looking at where are those companies and they are scattered all over the world, I think. There's, there's, there's definitely companies in China, there's companies in Japan, in Korea, and as I mentioned, a few in Europe as well. well companies that, uh, for example, Le Conche does business with as well. They do business with uh, material manufacturers all over the world, but those are the active materials. Um, if we can then talk about the cost of batteries, um, uh, Stefan, our previous uh, uh, guest, Max and Lewis, the 
CEO of Charge Grid had said that Maxon's law applies where the cost of batteries go down by a particular percentage a year. And recently, uh, uh, Elon Musk at the Tesla AGM talked about their plan to reduce the cost of batteries, of lithium-ion batteries, by some 33% over the next uh, two years. Um, What is your view on how the cost of raw materials and the cost of manufacturing of lithium-ion batteries will evolve over the next two or three years, which will then help spur the demand for EVs in India. Yeah, I agree. There still is a lot of uh, improvement possible, although it will gradually take time, of course. Uh, What I mean to say is that it gets harder and harder to remove costs from the product. But there's, there's definitely lots of options, and I see that happening. Uh, it's, it's surprising to me. Uh, you know, every year, energy density goes up 10%, cost goes down 10%, so you got a 20% delta with the year before. And I see it year after year after year, and it keeps going. And we are not out of ideas on how to reduce the cost or improve the performance, because, of course, it works in both ways. Right? If you get more energy storage for a kilo of material and that kilo costs you the same than last year or less then that's also of course a cost reduction it's about what hours per 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 currency right so per rupee if you like so um yes there are uh, there are definitely more ways and i i have seen some prices uh uh which are which brings lithium ion cells not at the battery level yet but cells right on par with the cost of lead-acid batteries. Uh, so that's, uh, that's, that means that not only will, uh, you know, uh, lithium-ion will kill the IC engine, uh, it will also have an impact on lead-acid batteries. So when, in, within the battery industry, when you see prices drop, as you've just described, and density increase. Do you have a curve, a demand curve that you also see at the same time with uh, increasing demand year on year, as there is greater adoption of uh, lithium-ion batteries in more than just mobility, but in many other applications as well? Just a matter of bringing the cost down. Um, Electric vehicles won't go anywhere unless the infrastructure is there, just to give you an example. So, I mean, you could give lithium-ion batteries for free, but if people can't charge their cars, they won't buy it. Excellent. And um, that is, in fact, uh, the main issue with uh, EV adoption in any country, more so in India. It's the whole ecosystem that needs to come together, Uh, not just policy and regulatory, but it's also about the charging infrastructure. It's about second life of batteries. Um, From your view, you've seen this uh, in Europe, uh, by far the most sophisticated market for adoption of electric vehicles already. what is your view on the evolution in India of the whole ecosystem? Um, and what do we need to focus on in order for EV adoption to be much faster than what we are experiencing at the moment? It is happening, though. I, I don't know if it's going at the, the best possible speed. Um, there are initiatives like now IESA. I think that's a very good initiative where people are simply brought together in a WhatsApp group and exchange uh, you know uh, the progress that is being made, so that's that's very good. I think um, uh, uh, th- those kind of initiatives are very important. We really need to have a a, a different approach to this if we want to accelerate it than let's say conventional business doing. In conventional business doing, you you create some USPs, you keep them close to your chest. 
you know, these are your USPs, you're not going to tell anyone about them and you, you bring them to the market and uh, you go fast or you patent your technology. But this disruption that we are doing is probably the biggest one ever in the history of humankind. So traditional business methods will only slow us down. We should not try to adopt them too much. We, we really need a more open culture um, uh, in terms of progressing. Um, our, um, uh, you know, our mission is to accelerate uh, the, uh, the move towards electrified transportation and integration of renewables. Uh, there's many ways to measure a company uh, financially, uh, performance of number of units sold. I would also like to be measured how we accelerate our move towards uh, all these things that I mentioned. And not only as a company, but as an industry as a whole. And, and so we, our company definitely is very open to uh, everyone who is trying to move the industry towards renewables, electric transportation. They are my friend. And I will try to help them as much as I can. Of course, I have to run a business. I mean, don't get me wrong, we're not a philanthropy. Uh, but, um, but we will definitely work together as much as we can to accelerate this, uh, this, this thing. And it's necessary. I mean, there's unfortunately some really bad records that India is having, a um, number of uh, polluted cities in the world and things like that. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I came to India as a person to uh, yeah, I mean, there were a lot of things aligning here, right? Uh, we have good technology, we have a very strong partner and a strong brand, Excite. And uh, we have a huge market and a country that needs it more than any other country in the world. So now 18, 19 months, uh, your factory is almost ready. Um, how has the journey been? Has there been any frustrations that got you down? Have there been issues that you've faced that you hadn't actually quite factored um, when you'd first make the investment to come here? No, I would say that we're, we're, we're pretty much on track um, with our budget estimation um, and uh, the complexity. Of course, the pandemic has, uh, has, has put some challenges on us. Uh, the production lines have to be installed now and uh, we're doing it with local resources rather than bringing the manufacturer into the country, which is a bit of a challenge. Uh, but yeah, of course, in India, you meet all sorts of challenges. Uh, I can tell you, I was here for a few weeks and uh, we were a team of four, five, six people uh, when we started. And I said, sir, uh, we have a problem. There's monkeys in the factory. I said, monkeys in the factory? You know, I've been a CEO for like 20 years. How do I get these monkeys out of the factory? And they were big ones, right? So. Uh, but you get a subcontractor to, to help you with that. You know, they bring a bigger monkey, you give him some bananas and they chase away the smaller monkeys and they don't come back for three months. So those were problems that, uh, that I didn't expect when I came to India, but uh, I had to face all of those. That's what a story, monkeys in the, in the factory. I think everyone who's come here has got a story like that. It's just not always monkeys, it might be other things. Um, the factory that I set up in... Um, in Chennai, we had uh, we had a cobra nest. So you'd be walking around the factory, and there'd be baby cobras. And, and of course, again, you'd get a subcontractor, and the subcontractor would not necessarily bring a bigger cobra, but had different ways to uh, had different ways to capture them. Always always quite exciting. But staying with the theme of frustration, 
So whilst watching the uh, the ecosystem over the uh, 18 months that you've been here, Stefan, uh, we're watching uh, the policy makers, regulatory, charging infrastructure, vehicle companies investing in, in um, electric vehicle platforms. What are the thoughts that you would like to share uh, in terms of what can be done differently uh, to find faster success in India? Well, uh, the government has, uh, I would say two things, has taken... Uh, the, the the shift to uh, electrification quite serious. They've they've put their resources on it. They've studied it. They came up with policy proposals. Um, but it's not enough. A couple of billion dollars of uh, of uh, budget will not make a dent. It's a, it's a, it's a huge amount of money. Don't get me wrong, but it's a hundred times insufficient. If you spread it over a couple of years, rather than five billion dollars, you need five hundred billion dollars to make this work. If you want to catch up with China, that's the kind of budget you're going to need, and that is also in line with what they have spent. With five billion dollars, it impresses everyone, but it won't get you anywhere. So budgetary-wise, factor hundred up, and then we'll get somewhere. And that's a lot of money for the Indian government. So there's a challenge there. Um, yeah, so uh, I mean, uh, you can you can of course expect the the industry to step up and, and invest, but in the, if there are then other countries around the world that uh, create a better incentive, then companies have to look at that, of course. So the five billion you're talking about is of course the the recent announcement of in- incentives by the government um, to help advance battery manufacturing facilities move to India. Uh, and the comment you make is it needs to be at least 100 times that really if we, if we need to catch up with China. So what does that say about the, the, the government's own seriousness um, uh, for electric vehicle adoption? There was a plan for 100% EV by 2030, uh, and yet we're going the first gigafactory, as you've said, is probably going to be mid this decade. Um, do you have an assessment on that? Well, uh, I don't think the government has made its last step forward in this thing. I mean... We're all on the learning curve, and so is the government. I, I, I don't mean to say that what is being done is wrong. What is it, it, To the contrary, I think they're doing the right thing. But if you look at the longer term, I think they'll need to do more. And I, I think they know. I mean, you just Google, how did China become you know, the leading player in lithium-ion batteries? And 100 people will tell you, right? So, and it's, it, it's about money. And money alone is not enough. Uh, I mean, other countries like like America have spent trillions of dollars on, on, on going electric. But then, yes, there's the advantage of China having the ability to create a long-term policy, whereas democracies having a, a four to six-year horizon, and then another president comes up and has another idea. That's a little bit uh, that's a little bit uh, dangerous for uh, for the industry. So I'm very happy that India has a fairly stable government and has a strong majority. That is also something we looked at when we were at Le Clanchet, saying like, okay, that is important because if you know if you do an investment in four years from now, the whole thing shifts to back to oil or something, then you've got a problem, of course. Why do you think big players like um, Tesla and Volkswagen have not committed to investments in India, um, given that 
this is the environment here. Uh, pollution is huge, and uh, there will be a natural leaning towards electric vehicles when when the market starts to grow. It'll it'll pop in many ways, won't it? I think it's uh, it, that's a difficult answer, a difficult question for me. Um, it, this goes a little bit beyond batteries, of course, but I'll try. I, I think that uh, the Indian market has specific requirements, and um, depending on how well your product matches with those specific requirements, you you'll have to make changes that will drive drive a, you know, some investment. India is a very cost-sensitive country. I think that's one reason right there. I, I think that on average, the Indian roads are not the best quality. Uh, so to really enjoy a sports car that can do 200 kilometers per hour or more, there's not a single road in India that can handle that, is there? So I, I, think, uh, I think there's a mismatch with the requirements of the Indian consumer and the core specialties of the customers, of the manufacturers that you've named. Uh, interesting comment you make about the 200 kilometers. Uh, yeah, Tesla obviously changed the world because they proved an electric car can be fast and can go for a, for a, for a long range or drive. You can drive it for a long range. Um, at the, you made the point too, there's no roads in India that can do 200 kilometers an hour. Uh, one of the other businesses I'm involved with, Stefan, is uh, uh, speed enforcement uh, technologies. And uh, we were doing a um, proving demo in New Delhi on the eastern peripheral, the new uh, expressway they have there. And uh, we were allowing the algorithm of the system to learn uh, with each vehicle that was passing. And the fastest vehicle that we clocked uh, for speed infringements was at 249 kilometers. And in fact, it was, so uh, it well, and it was, it was two motorcycles that were, that were racing each other as well without number plates. So um, I, I guess there are a couple of roads where you could do that. Uh, but yeah, the, the, your point is well taken. There is, there is no market for that yet in India. It's not a speed focused market. It's more utility based. And I, I, I'd also like to bring it in a positive way. This country is it has has embraced uh, uh, you know um, public transportation much more than any other country. There is no need for a huge car fleet uh, in ownership. This country has has, has shared mobility is much more advanced in shared mobility than any other any other country that I know, and. That also puts different requirements. Um, I'm sure there's, there's a couple of thousand people who would love to have, or maybe ten thousands of people who would love to have a Tesla, but that doesn't justify a factory. You're not going to use a Tesla in India to bring people from A to B. You'll use a three-wheeler. So if Tesla comes up with an electric three-wheeler and it is, you know, <laughs> uh, super amazing and, uh, you know, has an insane drivetrain and all that, then maybe. Uh, excellent. We hope one day to have Elon Musk on this program and we might tell him this is Stefan's opinion and a, a three-wheeler with an insane drivetrain. You've I got too that. many wheels, man. You need to cut one <laughs> wheel down. Go to three-wheelers. You'll make it in India. Um, Stefan, uh, if you had the opportunity to make any decision at all uh, in terms of policy to help faster EV adoption in India and faster growth of the lithium-ion battery technology uh, in India, what would it be? So let's talk about then uh, 
uh, import duties on lithium-ion cells. I mean, it's it's a subject where they've gone left and right more than once, uh, 5%, 10%, 15%, talk of uh, uh, higher percentages. Um, what is it you really, what is your priority? My feeling is that the priority is the uh, localization of manufacturing. Um, and I understand that. It, I, I, I subscribe to that strategy. But you should not forget the importance of cleaning up the air, improving the quality of life of people. And that means integrating more renewables in the grid, uh, which requires storage, and going electric on your transportation, whether it is on wheels, on water, or on rails. So, in my view, putting any import duties on any technology that makes the country cleaner is stupid. I'm just going to say it like that. Because it slows down that trend. If you're trying to catch up with China, any measure that slows down uh, the, the change is, is a bad one. So then, of course, you could say, well, but we want to sponsor the industry and it's expensive, so we need the money to come from somewhere. So duties is one way of getting the money. Well, I would apply a very simple rule saying the polluter pays. Those who are polluting, they have to pay the bill. I, for me, that is a, uh, a, a train of thought that, that I've learned, that I've picked up in Europe, and I think it makes a lot of sense. If you bring something on the market that pollutes, then you have to pay to take it back and at least erase your footprint. So whoever brings an ICE vehicle on the road, you know, you need to pay for uh, moving towards electrification. And then I think you will also see that some of the OEMs who may be like, uh, do I really need to do this EV thing? I've been doing this ICE thing for 100 years and we've gotten so good at it. Then you'll, they'll incentivize them because you're basically, you know, it's, you're, you're creating a pain on, on the ICE side. And you're showing a gain on the electric side. So I would say, yes, you need funds to accelerate the EV industry, but doing it with import duties, I don't understand that, to be frank. Um, when you have uh, lithium-ion cell factories and a more robust uh, uh, industry, then you can, you can start doing that to protect that fragile industry. That makes sense. But doing it now when there's no uh, no cell manufacturers in India, I'm I, I'm sorry, I, I don't understand it. It's a it's it's a fair point. Uh, in fact, um, the the, Tesla, the reason for Tesla in many ways is the fact that uh, they were outside the box thinkers um, and pushed the culture well beyond the comfort zones of the ICE manufacturers. Had there been no Tesla. Uh, I think EV adoption would have taken a much longer time. Stefan, it's been incredibly enjoyable talking to you. Your knowledge of the battery industry right from the age of 14 is immense and it shows today in the conversation that we've had. Um, it's been really good to hear about uh, Next Charge's plans for India and how you're, uh, you're implementing appropriate technologies for uh, the use of e-mobility in India, which is largely fleet-based and public transport-based. You've talked about how India should view China and how India should be realistic in its view of how to control the entire value chain from ore to minerals uh, and advice on uh, public policy towards growing the lithium-ion battery manufacturing industry in India. Thank you so much for making the time to be on our program today. Uh, thank you, Ravine. It was truly a pleasure. And 
I hope that uh, everybody was, uh, who is listening was able to extract something out of it that accelerates this transition that we all need so desperately. Thank you very much, Stefan. Good luck.